The title of this morning's message is Jesus, the Morning Star and the Day Spring. This morning we're going to look at two of the astronomical names that refer to Jesus. Jesus is called both the Morning Star and the Day Spring. And both of these titles represent pictures based in astronomy, which is the study of stars and celestial bodies. Both pictures represent Jesus as a source of light and a source of new beginnings. So we're going to look and see in what ways Jesus is like the morning star and in what ways Jesus is like the day spring and how we can find him in the midst of whatever darkness we may find ourselves in. So what is the morning star and the day spring? Well, the morning star actually refers to the planet Venus. Early astronomers knew that it was a planet and not an actual star. Stars twinkle. Planets don't. <laughs> and actually, stars only appear to twinkle. <laughs> because stars are so much farther away than the planets, their light rays are easily refracted by our atmosphere. So that's why it looks like they actually twinkle when they actually don't. <laughs> Venus's light rays, however, don't travel as far as the stars, and so they aren't refracted when they reach our eyes. So Venus appears to have a steady, shining light. Venus was termed the morning star because it is the brightest light in the early morning sky before the dawn. It was and is visible to the naked eye, but only for a few hours. It is said to herald or point to the new day, the sunrise, which is the day spring. Sunrise and day spring are synonymous. They are one in the same. So how is Jesus like the morning star? Well, in one sense, Jesus is like the morning star throughout the Old Testament scriptures always pointing us to the day spring, always pointing us to the day when the work will be finished, always pointing us to a brand new covenant. He brought the day spring. I also see Jesus as the morning star in that when he appeared physically, he was only visible for a short time, just like the early morning star. You see, once the sun rises, Venus has moved far enough away that the brightness of the sun overshadows it. Even though it's still there, you just don't see it. You see the brightness of the sunrise, which is also Jesus. <laughs> you can't get away from seeing Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the sunrise in that he brought in a new day the new covenant, but he did it through the rising out of the darkness of death. We find the picture of the morning star and the day spring in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. This is Peter speaking, and he says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star, or the morning star, arise in your hearts. I also have it for you to see in the International Standard Version. It says this, Therefore we regard the message of the prophets as confirmed beyond doubt, and you do well to pay attention to it, as to a lamp that is shining in a gloomy place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter's emphasis here is really on the more sure word of prophecy, which actually includes all of the Old Testament, not just the specific prophecies concerning Christ. Peter tells us that as New Covenant believers, we need to pay attention to the light that is available in the Old Testament as it regards Jesus. <laughs> The light we're looking for in the Old Testament is Jesus. <laughs> we're not looking for rules. We're not looking for Old Covenant. We're looking for Jesus. 
when we read it, we must always read it with that concept, that lens, that when I look in the Old Testament, I'm looking for Jesus and the New Covenant. To really understand this, we need some context. So, just prior to this verse, when Peter says this, he describes his eyewitness account of the transfiguration. You could say that Peter saw the morning star turn into the day spring right before his eyes. <laughs> Peter saw Jesus in the fullness of his glory even before his resurrection. Matthew 17, verse 2, it says, speaking of Jesus, that he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as light. Jesus is foreshadowed, if you will, or portrayed in both the morning star and in the sun that rises. So Peter tells us about him getting to be both an eye and an ear witness. Beginning in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter saw this transfiguration. He saw the physical glory of Jesus with his eyes, and he heard the Father from heaven with his own ears. That's some pretty convincing evidence that Jesus is who he says he is, right? But then right after that, he says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well to take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. The more sure word points to the validity that Jesus is the Christ. It is the written word that validates what they saw. The written word always trumps our experience. Scholars debate about this particular verse, that either Peter is validating that Jesus is the Christ because of what he heard, or he's saying that the written word validates what he saw and heard. I lean more that way, that he is saying, it doesn't matter what I heard and saw if it's not in the word. Because what my eyes and my ears can be deceived, I need to measure everything I see and hear against what's written in the word. The Word of God always trumps our experience. As convincing as our experience can be, we must always measure it against the written Word. I recently heard a person declaring themselves as a prophet and prophesying that Jesus had appeared unto them and Jesus told him that God was going to judge California and cause it to fall into the ocean. He supposedly is going to send angels to cause a major earthquake along the San Andreas fault line in order to punish California for its great sin. Now he says he saw and heard Jesus say this. Is being an eyewitness enough to believe what they've heard? Does it align with the word? When I was little, I lived in California. At eight years old, they were telling me California was going to fall into to the ocean. <laughs> this has been around a long time. But what's wrong with that? What's wrong with this kind of prophecy? Why wouldn't that really be the Lord? Why would Jesus not say this? Well, how about Romans 2, 4 for starters? Or are you unaware of his rich kindness, forbearance, and patience? That it is God's kindness that leads you to repent? Obviously, this particular believer believes God is more interested in punishing sin than in saving people from it. Because if it is 
the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, then how is that good? How can they repent if they're dead? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. And what about all the Christians that live in California? If God would spare Sodom and Gomorrah for ten righteous, would he not spare California on behalf of the righteous who live there? How much of a prophet do you have to be to predict an earthquake along a well-known fault line? You're going to be right at some point. <laughs> it's like saying there's going to be a hurricane in the south. You're going to be right at some point. <laughs> you don't have to be a really good prophet to predict an earthquake along an earthquake line. This particular man believes Jesus appeared to him and told him these things. And many people are listening to this man. So can we believe his predictions because of his experience? Not at all. Not at all. We always have to measure what people say against the written word of God, both in context and in principle. And what I mean by that is, I may not have a scripture that says this guy is wrong, but I do have Romans 2, 4. This is God is good. <laughs> and that God says, if I want people who are sinning to repent, I'm going to be good to them. I'm not going to throw them into the ocean. <laughs> that makes no sense. This is important because Peter later goes on to warn them about false teachers. That's also why I lean in this direction. Because right after this portion of scripture, Peter is warning about false teachers. You see, you could say, Jesus appeared to me, <laughs> and it not be Jesus. <laughs> you have to always measure it by the word of God. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament is always our plumb line. Everything has to go back to Jesus and his finished work. Jesus himself even pointed his own disciples back to the scriptures when they were having a hard time believing that he was actually risen from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, after Jesus is resurrected, he comes upon two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he asks them what they're talking about. And basically, they're boohooing about how everything has gone wrong, you know, because they thought Jesus was the one to bring deliverance to Israel, and now it's the third day since he died, and they can't even find his body. <laughs> so they are just all bummed out. <laughs> and so Jesus responds to them, beginning in verse 25. And he says to them, Oh, foolish ones, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is standing there in front of them in his risen from the dead flesh, and instead of revealing himself to them in his new risen from the dead flesh, he chooses to reveal the truth of who he is in the scripture. Because that is a more sure word. Later on in the same chapter, Jesus appears to the 11 remaining disciples, and he tells them the exact same thing, beginning in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, not just to the Jewish nation, to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Joseph Prince often says, it is so much more important that we be able to see Jesus in the scriptures than it is for us to see him in his risen flesh. Because even if Jesus showed up here this morning in physical flesh, everything he says is going to have to be in a line with the more sure word of scripture. That's how we would know that's who he is.
The written word always trumps our experience. Our experience should always conform to the written word of God and the expressed heart and intention of God, which is love, mercy, and grace. In between verses 27 and 44 of the chapter 24 of Luke, Jesus shows up in his risen from the dead flesh, and they can't believe it's really him, even though they are overjoyed to see him. It really seems way too good to be true. So they're struggling, even though they're overjoyed with seeing him. They can't believe what? Their eyes and their ears. In, starting in verse 28, it says this, and this is the continuation of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he, Jesus, acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed and broke it and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. The light came on, and then he vanished from their sight. Which is interesting, because the morning star vanishes from sight when the sun rises. Verse 32, it continues. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? When they realized that Jesus actually fulfilled the scriptures, that's when they believed again that he was the Christ. Verse 33, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. Now they believe. Now that they've seen him in the word, now they believe he's risen from the dead. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said unto them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Now they've just told everybody in the room, Jesus, we couldn't see it was him until he opened the scriptures to us. And then he broke the bread and then we recognized it was him. And he vanished into midair. Poof. <laughs> so he appears out of midair, poof, and they're all afraid. <laughs> and he says to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said unto them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. To them, that was proving to them that he wasn't a spirit, that he still had his physical body, that his physical body had been raised from the dead, that he was still a human being, and he was still God. He was still both. He was not a spirit. That goes into a whole different Gnosticism. <laughs> then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So when we read the Old Testament, we're supposed to be looking for Jesus. He fulfills them. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And this is one of the things I love to pray for myself. God, open my mind so that I can understand the scriptures. Because I have been indoctrinated in a way that tends to help me misinterpret scripture. I have been taught that God was man. I have been taught that God sends earthquakes. I have been taught that God just might want you to be sick to teach you a very good lesson. He's going to punish you because he loves you. All of that wrong teaching interferes with the way that we read the scripture. 
We have to have a clear picture of who our Father is, who our Jesus is, and what he accomplished. Jesus knew that their hearts would not be convinced by just seeing him in the flesh. So often we think, oh, if I saw Jesus in the flesh, boy, I would have such great faith. Nope. (laughs) We know we can't necessarily believe what we see with our eyes and hear with our ears. But the scripture has the ability to convince our hearts by bringing to light, or unveiling, if you will, the truth of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished through his earthly life and his death, burial, and resurrection. Everything Jesus did fulfilled the scriptures. He fulfilled all the types, all the shadows, all the prophecies, all the plans, and all the purposes of God. In Hebrews, it says this, Hebrews 10, 7. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And that's how we need to see the scripture, the entire Bible. This is all about Jesus. It is about a father who loved us so much, he sent his only son to die in our place. This is all about how good our Father and our Jesus is. Jesus hidden throughout the Old Testament is like the morning star, shining brightly and steadily throughout the scripture, pointing us and leading us to an even greater revelation and illumination of God. God not just in spirit, but God come in the flesh. In 1 Timothy 3.16 it says this, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Manifest means to render apparent, made visible. The God no one could see came down and made himself visible. And it says Jesus was justified in the spirit, means he was righteous in the spirit. He was seen of angels, he was preached unto the Gentiles, he was believed on in the world, and he was received up to glory. And in Hebrews 1.3 it says this, also speaking of Jesus, Jesus is the brightness of the Father. And the word there, brightness, means a flood of light. And it's painting a picture for the people who understood grace. They're talking of a day spring. They're talking of the sun rise. The sun is so bright. The sun being the Father and the brightness being Jesus. Jesus coming to express the brightness of who the Father is. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down, on the right hand of his majesty on high. The writer here is painting a picture of God as the Son and Jesus as the rays coming from the Father. Jesus expresses the light and the truth of the Father, even as the morning star expresses the light of the Son. Venus reflects about 70% of the light it receives from the Son, but our Jesus reflects 100% of the light and the essence of his Father. He is the exact representation of the Father. What is our Father like? We only have to look at Jesus. You never saw Jesus making earthquakes. You never saw Jesus (laughs) giving people cancer. You never saw Jesus doing anything but good. Jesus came to destroy all the works of the enemy. And through the new covenant, Jesus continues to point us to an even greater reality and revelation and fulfillment of scripture. That is God on the inside of us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have the confident expectation of God himself manifesting his light and his truth in us, through us, and to us. Through Christ, we have become the light of the world. We are like the morning star pointing to the day spring, the dawn of a new day, the new day of grace, the day when the Son of God rises out of death and brings the light and the truth of our Father's amazing grace. In Luke chapter 1, verse 78 and 79 says this, 
through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus is the dawn of the new day, the new day of grace, the day of the new covenant. Jesus is peace on earth and goodwill toward men. All of mankind sat in darkness, the darkness of sin and then in the shadow of death, but God. God so loved us that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world, in order to bring us into the perfect peace with himself. He came to rescue us from the darkness of ignorance and evil, and to bring us into the light of life, which is in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament foretells of a great light that would bring a great deliverance. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 2, says this, Those people, all people, lived in darkness, but they will see a great light. They lived in a dark place as death, but a great light will shine on them. God, you will make the, the nation grow, and you will make the people happy. They will rejoice in your presence as they do at harvest time. It will be like the joy when people take their share of things they have won in war. Woohoo! <laughs> that will happen because you will lift the heavy yoke off their shoulders and take away their heavy burden. You will take away the rod that the enemy used to punish your people, as you did when you defeated Midian. Every boot that marched in battle and every uniform stained with blood will be destroyed and thrown into the fire. And this will happen when the special child is born. God will give us a son who will be responsible for leading the people. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Powerful God, Father who lives forever, and Prince of Peace. His power will continue to grow and there will be peace without end. This will establish him as the king sitting on David's throne and ruling in his kingdom. He will rule with all goodness and justice forever and ever. The strong love that the Lord all-powerful has for his people will make this happen. I really like this scripture because it says he will rule with goodness. He will rule with goodness. He doesn't rule with earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes. That's not the work of our Father. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, it says this, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light and truth are similar ideas, and often these words are used synonymously. But light illustrates, emphasizes, and expands an abstract idea of truth. Unless we are enlightened by God, we cannot see the truth for what it is, even when it's right in front of us. That's why Jesus had to open their minds and their eyes, so they could see and comprehend the truth of who he was in the scripture and who he is in his fullness. We need Jesus to continuously open our minds and eyes too, because there's always more of Jesus to see. And seeing Jesus changes everything. He changes us from glory to glory by beholding him. Jesus came in human flesh as the light of the world. He came as both the morning star and the day spring. And as the morning star, he showed up in the midst of complete darkness and was only visible for a short time. But after he took all the sin of the world into the darkness of death, he rose triumphant as the dawn of a new day, a new day of grace, a new day of grace with the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness. Second Peter 1.19 again says, Therefore, because of what we know, 
because of what we've seen, because of what we've experienced, but mostly because of what we see in the Word. Therefore, we regard the message of the prophets as confirmed beyond doubt. And you and I would do well to pay attention to it, as to a lamp that shines in a gloomy place, because the day dawns and the morning star does rise in our hearts. When we find ourselves in a gloomy place, when the darkness of this world tries to overtake us with its lies and its deceptions, or when we feel like we need a new beginning, it is then that we would do well to pay attention to the light of God's Word until the truth of Christ's finished work begins to rise again in our hearts. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our morning star who shines the light of his truth into our hearts in the midst of our own personal darkness. And Jesus is the day's spring, expressing the greatest light of our Father, the new day of grace. The new day of grace. And we would do well to pay attention. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the surety of your word. It reveals the truth. In fact, there is no truth apart from your word. There is no truth apart from Jesus Christ. We would not recognize the truth without you. We would not know what truth was apart from you. Most of the world lives in that darkness. Most of the world doesn't know the truth. They have no idea that they are deceived. They have no idea that they stumble about in darkness not knowing where they're going. Father God, I thank you for the word, the sure word of your scriptures that points us always back to the light, the truth, Jesus Christ and his Father, you. We thank you, Father God, that you have ordained from the foundations of the world that you would bring forth your light, your truth, all through this world. And whosoever desires to see and to know can merely seek you. You can't see the morning star unless you're looking for it. Jesus, you are so much that way. You are the new day. You are the bright sun. But so many people are in darkness because they can't see. But if they would only look, they will find you. They will find you, and they will find your mercy, and they will find your truth, and they will find your love, and they will find your grace. They will find healing. They will find light and life, and life more abundantly. Father God, we thank you for the sure word of your scriptures. And for Jesus Christ, the light and the truth come to us to reveal the fullness of who you are. Father God, help us to pay attention to the more sure word and to measure everything we hear and see by the more sure word of prophecy. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.